0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, let's finish up this series in... uh... That we've been doing on the church. If you've been here the last four weeks, uh, we've gotten great feedback from this series. Um, I, I've had several of our elders ask, "Hey, what's the feedback been?" And I'm like, "Well, I only heard good things." And so I guess the people that didn't like it, maybe they just didn't come back or they didn't email me. But I've heard great things. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series, and uh, we're going to finish it up today. And I'm pumped about doing that. Acts chapter 20 is our text. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. It's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're going to finish today. By the way, let me just give you a preview or a commercial for next week. We start a brand new series called Uncommon Joy. Tyler is gonna talk about that just for a minute after the service. And um, it's, it's a journey. It's a 10-week journey through the book of Philippians. And we start next week. And so I want to encourage you. Not only show up, but next week is a great opportunity to invite somebody in your life to be here on a Sunday morning with us. And we're going to focus on joy. And uh, the author of Philippians is writing from a jail. And joy is his theme. And I think we're going to be encouraged throughout the process of that series um, to find joy in all sorts of life circumstances. So a quick commercial. Be here next week. Bring somebody with you. Now. Now, let's finish it up today. We've been in this series for five weeks. The first week, we asked the question, what is the church? We gave a definition for the church. The second week, we said, what is the mission of the church? Why are we even here? Uh, what What are we supposed to be doing as a church? And then the third week, we talked about um, church membership and is it biblical? And we gave two reasons for why we believe church membership is biblical. Um, And we introduced the idea of church membership because we're moving that way in the next few months. And then last week, we asked the question, who leads the church? And we gave a simple answer. The answer is elders lead the church. In fact, there's two ordained offices of leadership in the church, elders and deacons. We just focused on elders last week. And so we asked the question about elders, who can be an elder? And we found ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and there were 12 character descriptions of who an elder is. Let me just remind you of those 12 character descriptions. Uh, The first one was, an elder is above reproach. The second one said uh, an elder is faithful to his wife. The third was he's temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. By the way, the only description in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of a skill um, for an elder. The rest of these are all character descriptions, who they are. The next one was not given to drunkenness, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, leads his family well, not a recent convert. And then finally, we finished with... um, an elder has a good reputation with outsiders. Um, as I read First Timothy chapter three, and as I was preparing for it last week, I'm just overwhelmed that. 1 Timothy chapter 3 doesn't tell us that a pastor elder must be perfect. I'm personally grateful for that. Aren't you grateful that uh, perfection is not required uh, for church membership? It's not required for church leadership. If, if that was the case, all of us would be disqualified. But what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that there is a path. There is a direction that a pastor elder's life has demonstrated over a certain period of time that he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. In his own walk with the Lord. And so because a pastor elder is trustworthy with his own walk with the Lord, it gives us a context clue that he's going to be trustworthy to provide care and oversight for the church as well. And so that's where we began with this concept of elder. Who can be an elder? L- let me also say this to you before we jump into the and finish off this this conversation today. Um, I I love the fact that that at Story City Church we come from all different denominational backgrounds. I got an email uh, a mess a Facebook message um, like three hours ago before church started from a guy asking what denominational background are you? We're, we're Baptist in in nature and where we come from. However, at Story City Church there is a unique um, grouping of people that come from all sorts of different denominational backgrounds. And I love that. I love the diversity in our city. Now, depending on what background you come from or a lack of a church background, by the way, if you have never been to church, maybe today's the first time. Welcome, by the way. We're honored you're here. Um, We love the fact that people don't go to church, show up at church every single week. But depending on what your background is, You may you may have walked out last week, or maybe if you weren't here last week, you're like, I'm not familiar with the concept of elders. Well, there's a description of, um, this, of, of this office of leadership in the New Testament that describes um, three different words describe this one office. Last week, we said one of those words was bishop, another word was elder, and a final word was pastor that describes what we are describing today. So if elder is foreign to you, let me just say, every time you hear us say elder at Story City Church... Think of the word pastor. I think all of us probably have this context clue of who a pastor is. And when the scripture speaks to an elder, we can think of a pastor. So last week we said, who can be an elder? Let me answer two questions this week for us and we'll conclude our series on the church. The first question I want to ask and answer from Acts chapter 20 is what does an elder do? What does a pastor do? In other words, what's his job description? If you're hiring somebody in um, the secular world, the question, the word you would use, or what are his competencies? And then the second question I want to ask and answer this morning will come from 1 Peter chapter 5. You can go ahead and put your finger, if you brought a Bible this morning, in that place. The question we're going to ask and answer is, how does an elder lead? So what does an elder do? Secondly, how does an elder do it? How does he do his job? And that's this idea of what are his commitments? How does he do it? So let's start in Acts chapter 20 this morning, starting in verse 27, and let's try to answer the question, What does an elder do? I think in this passage, what we're gonna see is there are three primary functions in the job description of a pastor. Acts 20, this is Paul. He has journeyed near the end of his life. He's taken missionary journeys. Um, He's found a lot of trouble along the way. And so near the end of his journey, he's calling the church at Ephesus. He's asking for the pastors at the church of Ephesus to come because he wants to instruct them one last time. And so he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he said. He tells the pastors Therefore I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That's verse 27. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. I think it's important in the job description of a pastor. Verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's a word there that's important. It's going to give us a context clue of what the job description of a pastor is. It goes on to say in verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which um, Jesus bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know, Paul is saying, now listen to what he says. This is interesting. We're going to get into it in just a minute. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31, so he concludes this exhortation to the pastors of the church of Ephesus by saying, So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So these few verses in Acts chapter 20 gives us a context clue as to what an elder does. And let me just tell you what the first one of those is. A pastor elder teaches the church. It's inherent in his job description. We find that in verse 27 when Paul said, I didn't hesitate to proclaim to you the whole counsel and will of God. Our job description, our character description, 1 Timothy chapter 3, mentioned this. And it said that a pastor elder is apt to teach. Let's not confuse what it means there. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's an incredible orator. It doesn't mean that he's um, teaching classes at Toastmaster because he's got great oratorial skills. What it simply means is a pastor elder understands the scripture... When you have uh, um, questions, when you have concerns, when you have issues in your life and you need wisdom, a pastor, elder should help point you to scripture because they understand scripture. Pastors and elders are charged with this idea of thinking theologically about everything in the church. We think theologically about why we preach through books of the Bible at Story City Church rather than just topical themes. There's a reason for that. We process theologically, why we sing the songs that we sing every single Sunday morning, because we are to teach the church. We process things theologically. Um, And so we're charged, pastors, elders are charged with feeding, if you will, the, the body, the congregation, Um, I told the story in the first service, and I'll I'll tell you. Uh, I dated this girl one time in college, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever met her family. So we went out to this nice steak restaurant, and her mom and dad were there, and her grandfather was there. And there was a lot of people around the table, and I didn't notice everything going on because I'm trying to be clued in and pay attention to her. and, And so I'm sitting at the table, and all of a sudden I could tell everybody around the table was getting nervous. And so I look over to Grandpa who's uh, sitting to the right of me and grandpa had just been served his steak, big, nice, juicy steak. And grandpa, rather than like most of us would pick up the knife and the fork and cut the steak, grandpa used both hands and picked up the steak and he was about to bite the steak. All right. Everybody is nervous. And I'm like, what? This is strange to me. And so I looked over at grandpa, not knowing what to say. and, And I just simply said, Can I help you? Can I help you? And I'm thinking about that. Like he's trying to feed himself with his hands. And I'm thinking about this job description of a pastor who is charged with feeding the church. Feeding the sheep. Pastors help feed believers. New believers, old believers. Part of the teaching ministry that God has charged us with here should encourage you to feed yourself. In other words, you should not arrive at this place in your old age as a Christian and still be grabbing a steak with your bare hands to eat it. You should know how to feed yourself, which, by the way, as a side note, is one of the reasons why we teach verse by verse through a passage of Scripture. We want to help you understand how to do Bible study for yourself. We want to help you feed yourself. We want to give you resources to feed yourself. And so pastors and elders are charged with this job description to teach the flock. But we don't just teach by what we say on Sunday mornings. We also teach with our lives. We watch over doctrine that's being taught to you. In every platform that we provide as a church, from Sunday morning to student ministry, to women's ministry, to kids' ministry, we are concerned about what we are teaching our church. Now listen... As you grow in maturity, and some of you are old age Christians, even though you may be 35, some of you are are mature in your faith. And as people mature in their faith, as the church grows, you also have the responsibility to ensure that the church is teaching what the Bible says. So the first job description for a pastor elder is that they should teach the church. The second job description is found in verse 28. And uh, the second half of verse 28, it starts, it says, be shepherds of the church of God. I'm sorry, it says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit, and here's the word, has made you overseers. Now, last week we said there are three descriptions for the office of a pastor and elder. Those three words are elder, um, pastor, and then bishop, and so the word we have here in verse 28 when it says overseers is the word the Greek word episkopos. It's the idea of an overseer, someone who sees that things are done correctly. And so the second job description of a pastor is not only they teach the church, but they also help govern the church. Now listen to me just for a moment. The Bible gives us descriptions. What we've done over the past five weeks is we have tried to describe for you what the Bible says about what a church is. And we describe for you what uh, church membership says and what it looks like in Scripture. We describe for you um, what the mission of the church is. We describe for you who are its leaders. But listen, the challenge most of us have in Scripture and whether it's with your own personal issues that you're walking through as a pastor of a church trying to lead it and give clear direction, the problem we have in scripture is that it gives descriptions, it's descriptive of things often, but rarely is it prescriptive of how to do it. Does that make sense to you? So let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 28, which we talked about about three weeks ago, what is the mission of the church, Matthew chapter 28 gives us that mission. And it's described in the phrase, make disciples. But here's the thing: after you read this mission of the church, then you go on and read the next part of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament. You're like, okay, God. So how do we make disciples? And what you find is the Bible does not prescribe how that's supposed to happen. In other words, you don't read in First Timothy chapter five where you have to have three outreaches. You don't read in Ephesians chapter three where you have to have a student ministry. You don't read in Philippians chapter one you must have a women's ministry. You don't read throughout the context of the New Testament. This is how you do it. And so what we do understand, though, is that pastors and elders, without a prescription but a description that we are to govern the church, we have this charge to set the direction of the local church in in the life of some of these essential things in the life of a church, like how we do outreach like how we disciple people, how we conduct our worship, how we facilitate fellowship, how we engage you in the life of doing ministry and serving the church. Now, can I say this to you? At Story City Church, we have intentionally taken an approach to be simple in how we have organized and structured our church. We've intentionally chosen not to create this litany of programming, That might cause you to come to the church three or four, five, seven times a week. We've intentionally said we're going to organize the church in such a way that we're not programmatic. But there's a few things where we believe because of how we've structured and organized. We we believe that you as a believer are going to thrive in the places where you live, work, and play based on just a few things. Number one, um, we believe you're going to thrive and grow in an area because of worship. We believe you're going to thrive and grow in an area, secondly, because of how you serve the local church and our city. That's why we say to you often, if you're here for a specific period of time and you're not serving, we want to encourage you, get engaged. We believe that's one of the agents of growth in your life. So we believe that you're going to grow through worship, through serving the body and through serving our city. We also believe you're going to grow through being in community every week. We also believe you're going to grow Through this process of multiplying yourself as a disciple. And so this concept of elders governing, it means we organize based on the way that we believe we can best accomplish the mission of the church in our context. Now listen to me, that may change. That may change from year to year. We may change our approach. But what it means is we live in Los Angeles We live specifically in the heart of the entertainment industry, so we are organizing our church based on the way we believe we can best accomplish the mission of God. So we don't organize our church how somebody does it in Dallas. We don't organize our church how somebody does it in Sacramento. We don't organize our church how somebody does it in Atlanta. We don't organize our church how you had church done in Iowa. We organize it based on the context that we live in. And so that's part of the charge of being a pastor and elder that we govern the church. We also teach the church. Now, let me give you the third job description of a pastor and elder and it's found in verse 28 and 29. And this is what the scripture says. Be shepherds of the church of God, which Jesus bought with his own blood. Now listen to what he says. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise who will who will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And so pastors and elders are charged with teaching the church. We're charged with governing the church. But listen, the job description we have here from verse 28 and 29 is that pastors and elders also shepherd the church. Now, that word is sort of loaded with a lot of meanings, but let me just try to stretch it out for you for a moment. This idea of shepherding gives a concept of protection, of care, of praying, of encouraging you, of being your cheerleader as you grow in Christ. And so as a shepherd, what that means is that sometimes a shepherd leads a a sheep into green pastures where you feed unharmed and and growth is good and natural. It also means at times a shepherd will leave the 99 in order to pursue the one. Other times it means the shepherd will physically take a sheep and put it on its back so it can keep it from harm and danger. It also means that a shepherd at times may have to break a sheep's legs in order to keep it away from danger. And so this idea of shepherding that God has charged pastors and elders with, kind of we can boil it down into two sort of concepts, protection and caring. So what does protection mean? Protection means a pastor and elder is willing to shoot a wolf. You catch me there? A pastor and elder is willing to shoot a wolf. What do you mean a wolf? There's two primary wolves that Scripture says will enter in the church and try to ravage the church. The first is a doctrinal wolf. A a doctrinal wolf comes in and will try to teach things in our fellowship that we don't believe the Scripture says. And most of you have no idea, but this has happened in our fellowship because we've guarded you and protected you from several wolves who have tried to come in and teach alternately to what we believe the scripture says. There's another wolf that enters into the church and we call it a moral wolf. In other words, that moral wolf tries to lead people away from living righteously. And so the pastor, shepherd, protects by by being willing to shoot wolves. It protects by guarding the unity and fellowship of the church also. The primary culprit to disunity in most churches is when people have pride and they have preferences that they bring into the process. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that we have in the life of a church is that we all have preferences that we bring but if we understand covenant love like we talked about three weeks ago and how we're to engage each other, then what that means is there are times when I set aside my preferences. In other words, some of you may say, man, I just wish we had a piano and an organ and a hymnal that we did worship with. And I have no problems with piano and hymnals, and and but but that's just not how we do it. We do it differently. Some of you may say, I wish we had um, ministry for this subculture of people. I wish we did ministry with this sort of stuff. I wish we did outreach with this sort of people. And we all have these preferences. And so at times when these preferences give, um, become dominant in our lives, then the unity and the fellowship of the church becomes harmed. And so a pastor is charged, an elder is charged with protecting the unity. And we say, you know what? Uh, even this week, I had email uh, emails from some of you guys that were asking about doctrinal things. And we said, there are things in our doctrine that we believe that are that are not fluid, that we don't change. That things like who God is, things about the nature of Jesus, things about salvation, things about um, heaven and hell. But then there are other things in Scripture, doctrinally, that we have leeway that that we're fluid with, where we say, you know what? This is where I stand. This is how I read the scripture. And this is how you read the scripture. For example, how's the world going to end? Well, I read that it's going to end this way. Um, Some of you may read it that it's going to end this way. You know what? For us, we say those are not essentials. Those are things that we have liberty with. So we can gather every Sunday morning and believe differently about those things. And as long as those things don't become dominant in our lives, we can all exist in unity. However, whenever we bring those things with preferences to the table that become dominant and begin to affect unity, a pastor and an elder has to look at the scenario and the situation and say, this is causing the unity of our church to be affected and we must guard it. And we don't often say these things, but there have been occasions in the early life of Story City Church where we've had to guard the unity of our church, where people have said, I've got a preference for how this is done. We have no problems with that preference. We can exist in unity. But it rose to the occasion where it affected the unity between him and our leadership team. And we had to say, "Um, we love you, but you're causing the unity of our church to be affected. And as a pastor and elder, we must guard that. Protection not only means that we guard unity and fellowship, it also means that we guard purity. There are occasions in the life of a church where where Christians will decide to choose. Now listen, that's the operative word. We're not talking about people who don't know the Lord. We're talking about Christians who choose their own sin over Christ. They walk in such a way that they blatantly disregard what God said is best for you in your life. And so as a pastor elder charged with this concept of shepherding the church, protecting the church, then pastors and elders are charged with lovingly calling those people back to health, lovingly calling those people back to life. And so the way a pastor and elder is charged with protecting in that scenario is with an open Bible. It's not heavy handed. It's not coming down. It's not, it, it, it's with an open Bible where we persuade people to say, look, this is what God said is best for your life. And so the three things that an elder pastor protects are unity, doctrine, and purity. And so underneath the umbrella of shepherding, we also have the concept of caring, caring for your souls, how we admonish you, how we encourage you towards godliness. How do you do that? Well, we, oftentimes we do it through counseling. Oftentimes, we do it through a coffee meeting where you've called us and said, I'm having difficulty in this area of life. Can you give me some wisdom? It's oftentimes through praying for you. I don't know if you know this, but after the service, you can walk out to the connect table. There's a connect card, and at the bottom of the connect card, we ask you, how can we pray for you? We would love to pray for you at our staff meeting every Tuesday. We would love to pray for you at our elder meeting once a month. That's part of the caring process that a shepherd is charged with part of the caring process also includes encouragement and wisdom. One of the joys this week for me was sending a text to Andy who has led in Tyler's absence for the last 3 weeks to say, "Man, brother, you have killed it. You've been such a blessing to our church as you've led us in worship." Pastors should lead with encouragement and wisdom. And that implies that a pastor or elder is generous with their time. They're generous with their resources, they're generous with their energy. Now, Those are the three things that a pastor elder is charged with doing in their job description. They teach, they govern, and then they shepherd. Now, let's finish out this series on the church and let's ask another question. If that is what they do, then what does the scripture say about how they do it? In other words, if you lead a staff or maybe you've written core values for a staff before, our staff has a written list of core values every time we onboard a brand new employee. One of the parts of that employee onboarding process is we walk through our core values. This, is, this guides how we lead our people. And so we can find those core values. And I think there are three of them primarily in 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, the three primary core values for how elders are to lead. Starting in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, verse 2 says this "This is the first clue for how a shepherd should do their job. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, if you have something underlined with you, don't mind underlining in your Bible, this would be a good place to do it. It says, Not because you must. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Let me try to explain this, and then I'll tell you what this um, uh, this core value is. I um, I, I do date night. I mean, I'm dating, I do date night with my wife, but I do daddy-daughter dates. Um, often with my daughter, and, and I love it. It's awesome. Um, I, she's turning eight next month in a few weeks, and, and um, over the last few years, I've learned that da- daddy-daughter date night, or, or breakfast, like we did this week on Tuesday morning, daddy-daughter date often um, includes something that my daughter is going to ask of me. Okay. And so we went to breakfast this, I think it was Tuesday. She didn't start school till nine, 10. And so we went to Simply Coffee here in Burbank and, and she got a hot chocolate and I got a coffee and we sat down. It's just a beautiful moment where, you know, the the brothers aren't there. Mom's not there and the TV's not on or not playing on. It's just her and I, and we just have a chance to be together, hear her heart, let her hear my heart. We have conversation together. And so we're a, Good ways into the conversation. And I can sense this ask that often happens on Daddy Daughter Date night. The ask is brewing to the top, okay? And so her ask was Daddy, I want a pet bunny, okay? And so at this point, she sort of of buttered me up by asking, Daddy, what pets did you have as a kid? Dad, what what pets did Mom have of a kid? What pets did Mima have have as a kid? What pets did Nana have as a kid? And so it didn't help my case that I had to tell her, Nana had all, she had an alligator, she had a, you know, a Siamese cat, she had a, a monkey one time, she had all these exotic animals. And she's like, oh, this is amazing. And so at this point, she had has dug a 6 foot grave for me to make this ask from me, okay? And then she says, "Daddy, but well, I want a pet bunny." And you may not know we're a pet-free home, okay? You have pets, great, we love it. That's uh, you, there's charity in that belief, okay? And so, we just we just don't have pets. And part of it's our lifestyle and and paying, you know, whatever. We can talk about that. But she's like, "Dad, I want a pet bunny." And at this point, I'm like, she's shoveling the dirt on top and it's a done deal, right? And so I look at my watch, and I'm like, you don't, know, baby, actually, we got to go to school. I got to take you to school. We'll talk about this later. Never. And so uh, we get in the car and we get to school. And, and typically when we drop them off at school, Laura and I will initiate, hey, we love you. We pray for them. Have a great day. And so she's opening the door to get out the car. And before I could say, baby, I love you. Have a wonderful day. She looks at me and she says, daddy, I love you. (laughs) And I'm like, great. Where can I get a pet bunny? (laughs) I love it. Daddy daughter date always implies she's going to ask me for something. And typically it's not ridiculous, but it's like, this is never going to happen. But like after a bunch of daddy daughter dates, like, like I know what's coming. But can I say to you, knowing she's going to ask me for something that I have to tell her no to, does not cause daddy-daughter date to be a duty for me. I could look at it like, oh great, I'm going to be backed in a corner. She's going to bury me in a hole and ask me for something new. She's going to take all my money. She's going to do all these things. Like, like no, it's not a duty for me to go on daddy-daughter date with my daughter. It's a delight. Every single time, it's a delight to spend time with my daughter. When Peter describes here how an elder and a pastor should do what he does, he uses the word, because you are willing. And then he goes on to say, be eager to serve. This idea of willing gives this idea that I'm not being forced or pressed into doing anything. I'm doing it of my own free will, and I do it because it's a delight and it's not a duty. By the way, can I say to you, if serving you is a duty for me, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, that we talked about a few weeks ago, it's no benefit to you. Let me read that verse for you. Have confidence in your leaders, Hebrews 13, 17 says, and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so there's this idea of pastors and elders and a congregation and how we mutually love one another. And as we said when we talked about membership, if the 59 one another's in the New Testament describe anything for us, they describe this idea of not demanding things from you that you care for me, that you meet me every single week, that you, do the, that you pray for me. It also describes for you how I should serve you. And there's this thing that when we live with one another in the way that covenant love describes for us, we don't demand things of each other. We become those things for each other. And I just want to say... The scripture charges pastors and elders with with, um, giving themselves to you willingly and eagerly, regardless of whether it's reciprocated. But you know this to be true in your own relationships. When people don't reciprocate, it's difficult to love, right? Now, I'm saying to you, regardless of whether you love... Regardless of whether you post things on Facebook about us, whether you send us bad emails, our charge is to willingly, eagerly love you. But it always works better when we do that in unison with one another. I got a text message on Friday from a pastor friend in Denver. He said, can you pray for the family of this pastor in my city? He just committed suicide this morning. Two weeks ago, I saw on Facebook that a pastor here in Los Angeles, a young guy with little kids, had committed suicide. there's anything I know about ministry and pastoral ministry, I know that there is the potential and the opportunity on both sides for churches to chew up their pastors. There is potential for pastors to chew up their churches. At the last church I was at, my pastor had a ministry called City of Refuge, and City of Refuge facilitated a year long transition out of ministry into a year of healing. And most of the pastors who came through City of Refuge had either had a moral failure or they had been chewed up and churned up by their church. And it happened for one of two reasons either because it was a really difficult church or they caused and created a scenario where the church chewed them up. Regardless, regardless, listen to me. I'm talking to us, Story City, and anyone else who may be listening online. Churches, don't chew up your pastors. Pastors, serve the flock willingly. There's this concept that elders and pastors don't lead abusively. There's also this covenant love idea that churches don't beat up their elders and pastors. We've been a church now officially for about two and a half years. Can I confess to you? You're some of the most loving, generous, kind, friendly people on the entire planet. You make it easy to shepherd you and to serve you and to care for you. And I want to say that to your benefit this morning. So the first way that elders do their job, they should eagerly desire to serve you. The second way that elders do their job is found in verse three it says not lording it over those entrusted to you but listen to what it says but being examples to the flock in other words an elder should be an example and lead by example for the church when we read 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 last week we saw these 12 character descriptions of a pastor elder and if you read them, you're like, well, these aren't remarkable. Like, these don't seem like supernatural. These are just ordinary, common things that every Christian should strive towards. And I want to I affirm that. And say, the qualifications for a pastor-elder are not remarkable things. They're things that pastors and elders should model for you. There's nothing remarkable about them. They're things that every Christian should strive for. But a pastor and an elder should model those characteristics of what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman. And I just want to say to you as I say that, because like, when a pastor stands up and says that, I should model this for you. Like, I might as well draw a dartboard and be like, okay, we're always watching. Let's see if he, how he reacts in, 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 uh, in traffic. Let's see how he reacts when he's out with his family. Like, I'm cautious of that. I was on my honeymoon in St. Thomas, and I'm walking down the beach with my wife, who I just said yes to. And we had just had our first, hunt. like I'm walking down the beach with my wife and I hear, I'm like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, Pastor Matt. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so look, I I, I get this. When, When I say these things, we put, we put bullseyes, but can I say this to you? There's grace. There's grace in leading you and, 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 how, and, how, and how you come along and, and journey through your faith. There's grace should be on the part of, of, um, of the church and towards their pastors and elders. But overall, generally speaking, a pastor elder should be an example to the flock. I don't believe I have the right. And I also don't believe I have a whole lot of authority to stand in front of you on a Sunday morning and do a giving talk and say, I want you to be generous to the mission of God in our city. Look at me. If I'm not generous to the mission of God in our city, I believe I need to lead the way to be generous. I don't believe I have the right. I don't believe it carries a whole lot of authority. If I say, you should be in community, it's good for your soul if I'm not in community. I don't believe I have the right. I don't think it carries authority. If I say to you, you should love your neighbor tangibly. Go meet him today. Find out her name. Serve them in some way. If I'm not doing the same, I don't believe I have the right. I don't think it carries spiritual authority. If I look at you and say, trust Christ in what you're walking through, trust Christ in what you're walking through and walk away from your sin, repent of your sin. If I'm not doing that daily as well how pastors and elders lead is that they should be examples. They should never ask you to do things that they don't do. Now, can I just remind you of grace? And then we give each other grace in this process as we give each other grace. Verse five and six is the last how a pastor elder leads. Let me read the verse for you and then I'll give you the principle. In the same way, you who are younger. Submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. That word is so operative here. Why? Because God opposes the proud. What does he do? But he shows favor to the humble. Now listen to what verse 6 says, and let's close out this series on Ecclesia, the church. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Why? that he may lift you up in due time. The principle, the last one for how we see elders are to lead, elders and pastors should demonstrate patience with you. One of the things that the Lord has taught me over the last year is this concept of patience and learning patience. And there's this idea in scripture that reads like in due time. In due time, as God works out what he is doing in your life, in our life, in our church's life, in due time, God will raise up what he intended to do. Having been in church ministry now for 18 years, I've been a part of a lot of churches, seen a lot of people, watched a lot of leaders, including pastors, who just throw in the towel and they're not patient with what God is working out. And there's this concept of trust and and, and seeing things happening that adds to this process. But I just wanna say to you, part of our job description, mine and Tyler, Josh and Bob, who we introduced you to last week, is to be patient with you. There are times as pastors where we look and we're like, gosh, why don't they just grow up, right? Why, why Why? don't they just feed themselves? Like, why, why have they not got over this thing yet? Why don't they grow up and care for each other? But what elders understand and pastors must understand is that some of us are in spiritual diapers, if you'll allow me to use it. Some of us are old and mature in our spiritual age, even though we may be 30. And pastors look at all of our journey, which by the way, in a church-like story city with hundreds of people that are attending in a city like Los Angeles, we have people who are on the entire spectrum. I'm not, I'm talking about the believer spectrum. There's a whole nother, there's a whole nother group of people who don't know the Lord yet, And God's very clear about how we deal with them. But I'm talking about the believer spectrum. There are people who have just come to know Christ. They know nothing about scripture. There are people who have been believers for years and years and years. And they're still wearing spiritual diapers. There are people on the opposite end who could pick up a Bible and instruct you in whatever you're walking through. They could counsel you in your most difficult time of life. They know the scripture. They have intimacy with the Lord. And they are spiritually mature. God's charge to pastors and elders, yay, I would say it would be to all of us, is to demonstrate patience in that journey. You say, Pastor Matt, I just don't really like how we do this. I don't like that we've not introduced this. I would say, would you... Do the same thing that God has charged us to do to you. Give us patience. As we lead you, as we shepherd you, we don't want to shepherd you with a heavy hand, authoritatively, because why? One of the core values for how we lead you and shepherd you is to demonstrate patience, always believing the best for you. In fact, if you open up our employee um, handbook manual, which is very short at this point, one of the core values says, One of the first core values of how we lead people, we call it grace foot first. We will always step forward in grace, not in condemnation, not in judging people, but we believe that we should have patience in this process. And so an elder is patient with you in your journey. By the way, as you are humble, that's the operative word, when you're obstinate, when you're blatantly disregarding God's best for your life, the opposite de- description for what an elder should do should be to step into your life and lovingly call you back to Jesus. And that may be painful. But the operative word here is humility in your journey as you're humble in your pursuit of Jesus, knowing that in due season the Lord will bring about his intended results. So we humble ourselves in patience and humility. Well, that's a series on the church. What is the church? What is the mission of the church? What is church membership and is it biblical? And finally, who leads the church? I just want to say to you one last time in this series before we start a brand new one next week. We strongly desire, it's our hearts overwhelming desire, to be a church that the scripture describes. That's why we would even spend five weeks on posturing that to you. We want to be a biblical church. We want to look at our culture and say, we love you, we're for you. We also want to say, we know there are some descriptions in the scripture of a church that maybe run upstream, but our overwhelming desire is that we want to be the church that God describes in scripture. May we be that church. May we be that church. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you're in in your love and your grace. You have given sufficient description of what the local church is. God, I pray for people in this auditorium, God, who may love Jesus, but they don't love the church for whatever reason, whatever their experience has been. God, I'm aware consciously that people have had difficult experiences with the church. God, I pray that people as they're listening, as they're prayerful in this moment, that they would not judge you and your church and your bride by how other people have treated them. God, may we be a people who, may we be a pastoral team who leads with the integrity of our heart, the skill of our hands in the way that you describe, how you describe, what you call us to do. May we be a church that increasingly looks like those churches you describe in scripture, bearing with one another, caring for one another. May we be that church in this city at this time. God, trusting you with the results in due time, whatever you intend to do in this place as we focus our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.